Right, I started now. Ah, uh, we you wasted five seconds of my best material. That's all right. This is what we want. We, we want to back to the. We don't know what we're doing. Listen to our podcast. But that's fucking rude. I know what I'm doing. I do research. I do stuff. Exactly. Anyway, hello, 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 and welcome to Alters and Oil Reloaded after a a week off. Oh, it's gonna be two weeks now. How are you doing, Oil? Is it two weeks now? Oh yeah, yeah, because. It was a week off to try and get back on track, and then that sort of hasn't happened. So it's there's just this gap where we didn't give any information and we just stopped. We just said there's going to be a delay. But look, when we have delays, we do them correctly, all right? Big delays leave you in the dark. That's not my fault. I was drinking in the Grampians. It's not my fault. <laughs> How I had was things to do. Oh, it was really nice. Like you just forget living in Melbourne, like the stars are a thing. Like we went outside at night and just looked up at the stars and like, holy shit! Yeah, nice. That's one of my favorite ones. Just no light pollution, and you're just like, whoa. Exactly, exactly. No light pollution, so there's lots of bugs around as well. Everything <laughs> I feel just like, seems like healthier. Yeah, I feel it gives credibility to astrology. You just look at it and go, that's amazing. No wonder they tried to like study them and make predict things and that kind of stuff. Why do they worship that stuff? That stuff's sweet. Yeah, it's freaking awesome. You ever been out in the desert and done it? Nah, deserts are for losers. No, no, it's it's really good because it's really warm, so you don't have to worry about like, oh, it does get cold at night in the desert though. Cancel that. Yeah, deserts get get crazy cold at night because there's no vegetation around to capture heat. it's, It's really flat, so there's no mountains or anything. And then there's no light pollution if you go far, 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 far out. So you get this like really awesome view of the stars then because there's no landscape to block anything out either. Yeah, I guess that could be cool. Yeah. It kind of makes you feel like you're in like You could see like the curvature of the earth as well. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're in like a snow globe or something. (laughs) All right. Shall we (laughs) jump into this week's topic? Yeah, let's get into it. So, this week's topic is farming. How do you feel about farming? I like it. It's hard work, though. Uh, wait, have you done farming? Uh, I've done veggie patches and stuff, so I imagine it's just like that, but harder. All right, so it's that, but like on a, an industrial scale. So, it's yeah. the same difficulty to the power of industry. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot harder. But then again... It's probably less manual work, isn't it? Well, I suppose that depends on what you're doing and how you're doing it. True. And farming's a pretty broad term too. It is. It is. Agriculture, farming can refer to, you know, uh, plants, crops. It can refer to livestock. It can refer to um, aqua farming or aquaculture, I think it's called. I think um, agriculture in the budget also encompasses forestry. So it's a pretty broad term. Yeah. Is there any particular avenue you've, you've looked into? I've taken a sort of umbrella approach, uh, looked at a bit of everything. I started with the um, federal budget because, I mean, it's just come out. It would be a sin not to look at it in some way, shape or form and how it um, relates to farming. Sorry about the um. <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, yeah, 
So, like in the federal budget at the moment, um, the government's helping the agriculture industry achieve its goal of increasing farm gate output to one hundred billion dollars by twenty thirty. So, what they mean by farm gate is so farm gate cost or output is the market value of a product minus the selling costs. So, transport, marketing, packaging, blah 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 blah. Okay. So that's the goal of the Australian agriculture industry by 2030, um, to be a $100 billion industry. So uh, there's a few things that fall under that within the federal budget that we can talk about, or we can just go on to farming in Australia as a whole and less focused on this year's budget. What do you think? I'm interested in both, actually. All right, let's talk about what they outlined in the budget a little bit because it might just give them a, give us an idea of where priorities lie and the issues facing farmers at the moment. Like, I mean, I'm looking so, at this graph. Uh, Is that relation one? to it? There's lots of graphs. The, which graph was it titled? Uh, figure nine, Australian agriculture is export orientated. Yeah, that's really um, interesting. So 70% of agricultural production in Australia is exported. So Australia's got a massive landmass with a relatively small population. We are, we could completely be um, agriculturally, food production-wise, independent from the rest of the world. Um, we export a lot of what we produce. So overall, 70% of agriculture production is exported. Certain industries, that's higher or lower than that average. For example, sugar, 86% of sugar we manufacture, produce, whatever you want to say, um, is exported. Whereas pigs and poultry, only 5% of those are exported. The rest of it is consumed here. I guess that's like on a animal rights side of thing, that's kind of pretty good though. There's a lot of people that don't like that, like the live shipping of the animals. Yeah, I suppose the thing is we don't export a lot of pigs because, I mean, no, but there's then again, a lot of countries that don't. I'm just looking at the graph, beef and veal, mutton and lamb, they're up there at the 75, 73. Yeah, so we don't export a lot of pigs because, I mean, a lot of Muslim countries don't eat that. There's not as much profit in it, so people turn towards beef and um, lambs. Uh, so those we do a lot of exporting in. And poultry, I mean, everyone produces their own poultry because it's such a quick turnaround in terms of egg hatch to chicken eating. Okay. It's interesting. I'm just thinking what's the 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 gain behind all this exporting because I feel like that's something that I just feel is it counterproductive? Like I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head I suppose around. Suppose like, it's it's you've got to employ the people, counter... you've got to pay them. But we're sort of like a first world country, so our expenses going to be higher so isn't it going to be more expensive for us to produce these things then even more expensive to send them overseas not necessarily i think it depends where you look at it so the graph below that um sort of shows where australian farmers are in terms of a government um support level so australia's level of support for farmers is relatively low so the Bear with me once. So the average level of support as a share of gross farm receipts for all countries um, in this graph was 11.7%. 
Australia's 2.3%. So our farmers get a relatively small amount of support from the government, whereas some countries like Japan, uh, Iceland, Norway, they get a lot of uh, they give a lot of support to their farmers because of things like they've got reduced land mass, so there's not as much farming going on there. It's less profitable. Their climate's different, mm. you know, like places like Iceland and Norway, they're really harsh winters. You can't do as much without greenhouses, whereas Australia, the climate's a bit different, so we can produce a bit more regularly and produce more. So for some countries, it's cheaper to import it from Australia because our production costs are so low compared to their production costs. I see. So you're right. Some countries, no, not worth it at all. Other countries, it is worth it for them to export. Okay. They can cover those higher costs of us being a first world country, so those labour costs, those packing and transport costs. It's interesting because I was when I was in, um, I like I've never seen it in Australia. I don't know if other countries do it or not. I saw it in Switzerland. So like, they're just speaking to people in Switzerland. They're like any farmland or any farmers. Everyone's just like leave the farmers alone. We don't interfere with the farmers. And their trees over there, like their apple trees. They must be really old. And what they do is they've got like little like crutches for the trees that they put under the heavy branches to just keep the tree up. I'm sorry. I'm not sure what you mean. So let's say they've got this really old apple tree and it's got this huge branch and the branch is sort of like weighing the tree down. So they put like a little, like imagine like a crutch that you walk on, but one that's built for a tree. They put that up and boost the, uh, the branch up so that it's less weight on the stump or the trunk. Yep. What's it called? Fruit pre... Uh, sorry, fruit tree pruning is really interesting. But before we uh, do that, because I've just learned about it recently in a horticulture course, Switzerland, you mentioned, is one of those um, countries on that list. So they get nearly 50% uh, support from their government versus Australia's 2.3%. So 50% of the their gross receipts, they get government support on. They have, they have no um, space. Yeah, so that that would be part of the reason wow. why. But the reason they might be supporting that branch instead of just letting it fall and die, well, one, if it falls off and dies, it makes a big wound uh, for the tree to you know open it up to infection, disease, all that sort of stuff. But also, they've probably pruned that branch as part of formative pruning as the cre- tree's grown because it's at a nice sort of low level where you can easily pick the fruit and also they prune to potentially reduce the total number of branches that are producing fruit so that the fruit you do produce is bigger, tastier, better looking, but also to maybe open up the canopy to reduce risk of fungus disease by getting better airflow, all that sort of stuff. So it's something they've probably thought about a lot. I consume knowledge. It's what I do. Yeah, you, you love well, I'm plant. eating up some parts of it. Look, the OH&S stuff's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if he's, he was probably going to lose his hand anyway. If he loses his hand, he loses his hand. What the fuck? <laughs> also, because one of the one of the um, workers that worked on our campus, um, what's it called? Uh, it It's so fucked because the campus itself, the way they manage their horticulture or their maintenance is shit because they it's a government-run campus so they contract it out to the cheapest people who can do it and they do a shit job like they're a really bad property maintenance company they're not 
horticulturists. Anyway, um, one guy got degloved uh, working oh, on, oh, I think it was oh, the, the mulcher. Yep. For those of you who don't know what degloved is, imagine that the skin <laughs> on your hand and down your wrist is a glove and he was degloved. They removed that glove. Nasty. So it's some of that stuff's pretty dangerous, but the company that they've got out there doing it is just shit. It's, they shouldn't be doing it. They should be getting the students to do it. Fair enough. What about um your old friend, M- Mushroom Man? He he come back to class? Uh, Mushroom Man? I haven't seen him for ages, actually. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Did I talk about that on, on, the, on the last pod? The guy who yes. <laughs> found some mushrooms that he thought were magic at, at on campus. And I was like, they don't look very magic to me. I you, don't know. <laughs> you weren't happy about him. Um, and he's a, when he's a f- apparently like, I haven't, I haven't listened. I've started to edit that episode. I didn't, I didn't get very far. Apparently you're quite angry throughout the episode. So I, I didn't, I didn't catch it, but Holly said you were really angry. And at the end, I thought you were really angry. You were just like this fucking idiot. He's picked this mushroom. He's a waste of oxygen. You, you, the yeah, class is overcrowded and we don't get enough time to do stuff because we've got too many people and he's there just consuming oxygen. That's what you're like. Oh, you're like, I hope he dies. And now you're like, oh, I haven't seen him in a while. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty like, much what you said. Come, comes, comes into class and say, all right, this is what we're doing today. Has everyone got this? Oh, no, I mustn't have been here for that, man. And then, you know, you <laughs> look at his first set of papers on his desk and, no, that's that's the thing we're doing. Ah, oh, oh, maybe I was here for that, man. <laughs> what are you even doing here, man? <laughs> Rock up every day in, like, skinny jeans and what's called these, like, white runners or um, vans or whatever. Doesn't even own a pair of steel cap boots that you're supposed to have for the cause. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Anyway, what were we uh, talking about? Farming. That's right. Farming. Farming. Um, I don't know if your course relates to farming, but obviously they're not get, getting much government support, which uh, the the graph shows that. So even that's relevant. So the course itself doesn't relate a whole lot to, well, it doesn't relate to agriculture specifically. It's, horticulture very broadly so there it does touch on some agriculture theory and techniques and things to think about like specifically uh disease and pest management spider mites but which is something that the government is putting some money towards in this budget so uh to protect against outbreaks the government is spending a further 414.5 million on reducing pests and weeds and on border surveillance and controls. Um, what? How do so, they define a pest or a weed? Do you know? So I'm not exactly sure how it's defined. For a pest, so you define it according to your industry, I suppose. So the agriculture mm. industry, a pest would be something that reduces the yield and overall profits of what you're trying to produce. Like one of the examples that they highlighted in the budget, well, the only example of a pest they highlighted in the budget is the capra beetle so the capra beetle can cause up to 75 percent grain loss so that's either from directly eating grains they like rice grains dried fruits that sort of stuff so they can cause that by either directly feeding or also um the larva and the beetle they sorry the larva and the beetles they they cast their skins off they leave waste behind and that can cause health risks so it can mm. contaminate grain storage 
Okay. Like I know so down that, the, that sort of thing. In the alt ways, uh, blackberries are like a pest or a weed. Yeah. So some vegetation is described as a weed because it spreads quickly and you can't plant anything on there until you remove it. Or it can be um, competitive with local species in that it competes for nutrients. Its roots outcompete other roots for water. It can strangle other vegetation, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I find it frustrating because I'm like, mmm, blackberries. They're like, ah, uh, uh, don't eat them. We sprayed them. I'm like, ah. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't be eating them. <laughs> My snacks. <laughs> the guy comes out of the bushes in a full spray suit and mask and respirator. I wouldn't be eating that, buddy. <laughs> Take I you just quick. got all... All black all over my face and hands. <laughs> How are the berries, Ralph? <laughs> they taste like burning. Burning, yes. <laughs> so other things um, in the budget that they've talked about is uh, water. So under a $3.5 billion national water grid fund, the government is opening up new irrigated areas and giving farmers access to more water. So I, don't like the sound I read of that. an article or an yeah, I read an article or um uh probably more of an essay um on water, specifically the Murray Darling Basin and what's happening there. And I posted that on our Twitter page. So it's a an article in the monthly called Up the River by Margaret Simmons. So according to that the idea is that they were meant to sort of save as much water as they could and distribute it back into the environment, back to farmers, blah, 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 blah. So the Commonwealth government spent $6.7 billion on the program uh, to recover 2,100 gigalitres of water for the environment. But 20% of that water is unaccounted for. It's missing. They don't know where it is. So you can read lots of stuff about... Water theft, profiteering off water, people hoarding water, that sort of stuff. I know Friendly Geordies does a lot of videos on it. Michael West and Independent Australia do a lot of articles on it. The The Monthly does articles on it. You could do a whole pod, well, you could do a whole series of pods on it. But one of the big things about this is that it's up for, it's continuing on like this until 2026, I think. So it's up for review in 2026, but if we're losing 20% of the water that we're supposed to be recovering for the next five years, I mean, that could have catastrophic impacts. It probably needs to be reviewed now. But so far, they've resisted all calls to review it now. Yes. Okay. That, that is a lot of water. That is a lot of water. I, I don't know how... What's the standard unit of measurement for water? Swimming pools, isn't it? Olympic swimming pools. I don't know how many Olympic swimming pools it is. How, what's the limit swimming pool? 50 meters, 100? Is it, I think it's 50 because they, yeah, there's like the 50 meter freestyle is an event in the Olympics, isn't it? And you got yeah, to do a turn to do so. your 100 meter. Because, yeah, I don't think there's any event where you go halfway through the pool. That'd be fucked. Well, That'd, well uh, yeah, 50 and meters. Like if, 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 if you overshoot it, you're disqualified. If you undershoot it, you're disqualified. You got like a little yellow box that you can stop within. It's 50 meters. I'm just going to see how many liters do you reckon is in it. Does do they have a, a depth as 1 well? One million liters. Have to be like a standard depth. I imagine they'd have to be. <laughs> just Otherwise, like you puddle. couldn't use Olympic swimming pool <laughs> as a measurement. 
Like you, it's just got to be deep enough that you can't run <laughs> along the bottom. All right, that's the rule. Can't touch the bottom. <laughs> uh, let's have a look. Okay, so it's assuming a nominal depth of two meters. There is two million, two and a half million liters. God damn, <laughs> that's a lot a of water. Million liters, yeah. But how many, like? Then what's 3,000 gigaliters? So I'm guessing one gigaliter is probably like a billion liters or something. One giga. Jesus. And then 20% of that. Well, so one gigaliter is one to the, oh no, one to the power of 12. I don't want to know about milliliters. Give me liters. <laughs> Jesus. One to the ninth liters. So what's nine zeros? Like a billion, isn't it? Yeah, it's a billion, one gigaliter. Wait. wait. It's a billion liters. Yeah, one gigaliter is a billion liters. So 2,100 billion liters of water. And 20% of that is missing or unaccounted for. So how many Olympic swimming pools is that? So you said two and a half million for an Olympic swimming pool? Yep. So what is that? Times 100. So 100 swimming pools is 250 million. So times four. is so 400 is a billion liters so 2100 times 400 that's holy shit so 2100 times 100 is 210,000 so 840,000 olympic swimming pools 840,000 olympic swimming pools are just god i think like roughly that more probably because i didn't i don't think i did yeah 840,000 swimming pools i think <laughs> Well, no, that's the total amount. So 20% of those are gone. Okay, okay. Still. That, that's, you know, the, the, yeah, that's a, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> How? Where? Well, so uh, the article goes on to say, uh, the likely explanations include water theft, floodplain harvesting, and the possibility that originally modelling on which the plan was based was wrong. But I'm I mean, that's go, what the majority. You go. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to go with human error. Well, the majority of the articles and stuff that you find on there is is theft, is what they're okay. citing. Uh, a lot of it, uh, people pointing at cotton farmers saying that they're taking a lot of it because producing cotton takes a lot of water and producing cotton organically in Australia is, is probably the, it's counterintuitive, but organic cotton production in Australia is worse than, you know, uh, artificial cotton production because artificial cotton production uses way less water. Historically, so it's counterintuitive. Like, I was just going to say, historically, cotton farmers, uh, not not so good. Yeah, cotton farmers, they don't, yeah. Yeah, it's, you're right. They don't have a great track record. No. All right, boys, we're moving yeah, on to cotton water. Cotton farmers things. suck. Yeah. Everything should just be made out of wool. <laughs> Fuck cotton. Cotton can get fucked. Apparently, they're all that's wrong with the world. Oh, actually, this is very exciting. So the caravan park that we're staying at, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I will put some pictures on the Twitter, I believe. They have a on designated dog area that is probably the size of two Olympic swimming pools. 
it has little dog playground and things. I thought this this would be exciting for you. On yeah, top of that, yeah, yeah, go on. Next to the dog play area is a sheep. His name is Sean. He's a very very friendly sheep. I like that there's a sheep there. I'm a little disappointed the name's not more imaginative. Yeah. I I I only just found it out during the podcast. I got a message from Holly that said Sean the sheep because we were wondering what its name was. But very friendly. You can pat it. You can feed it. Um, does, but also, does he like dog? Does he like dogs? Yes. Ah, see, that's fucking sweet. Yeah, it's a really cool sheep. It, I was walking the dogs in the dog area and I was just doing laps. And he was following us along his little area that he's in. So when we got up to like one end, he would be where we were at one end and then he would follow us down to the other end. So he's just hanging out for pats. He's just like, yeah. let's go, let's go, gimme, gimme, gimme. I think he wants the grass. I think he's like, pick me the good grass, feed me. <laughs> well, that's a nice little segue uh, to another point that I wanted to talk about. Have you have you ever heard of Alan Savory? I have not. So he's a oh shit. I'm going to get this wrong. He's a Zimbabwean uh, ecologist. Okay. Yep. So he was in the news a, a lot, what, like six, seven years ago or something. He was making big waves with the way he wanted to uh, manage, uh, well, some of his farming principles, holistic farming, specifically around livestock. And I was watching one of his TED Talks uh, during the week, and it's very, very interesting stuff. Essentially saying, you know how a lot of people are saying that, Everyone knows that livestock, specifically cows, are bad for the environment. They're causing climate change, greenhouse gas emissions, blah, 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 blah. Cow burps. You know that, right? Cow burps, cow farts. And then there's you know, that transporting. Um, feed them the seaweed. I've seen that program. you seen that one? Feed them seaweed. Let them yeah, eat seaweed. Let them yeah, eat kelp. Yeah, they're designing the seaweed that cuts down on the. Um, CO2 emissions that they're producing. I think I have heard something about that vaguely. Yeah, I think it was happening up in Queensland. <sighs> Fucking Queensland, of course. Yeah, just a weird place. They are they are the best people and the worst people. Like yeah, anyone who produces you know the entire world supply of Bundaberg rum, got <laughs> they're going to be complicated. <laughs> anyway, but back to Mr. Savory or do, is he a doctor? I don't know. You know, that's a real good question. So in his in his I don't actually know if he's a doctor. He's got some sort of degree. I don't know if you get a doctor. Just trying to you know, I'm gonna check. Give him give him give him some credit where it's due, you know. If he's Alan got it. Savory. Zimbabwean ecologist, uh, livestock farmer, president and co founder of the Savory Institute. Oh, at least he's a president of sounds like an institute he created himself. <laughs> Uh, I think he's, uh, it says his education, he's just got a bachelor. Okay. So it's still Mr. Well, I guess President Savory as well, if you, if you want to uh, He's there. probably been knighted or something like that. Oh, uh, because I don't know. Maybe the, yeah. anyway. So some of the stuff he talks about, um, in his TED talk, he spoke about one of his early sort of career decisions that he had to make was in a park in Zimbabwe or somewhere in Africa. 
Um, they'd cleared out all the livestock and designated the area just for native wildlife. And they were finding that the soil was undergoing desertification. So essentially, all the vegetation dying back, no water seeping into the soil. It's just becoming arid wasteland. Am I mm-hmm. talking really fast today? Mm, uh, maybe. Maybe. Well, we'll just have to slow me down in editing. That's right. Maybe you're maybe you're excited to be to be back back in the studio. <laughs> I'm back, baby. Yes. Anyway, so he was talking about how he did research on the land, or he studied the land, and he the conclusion that he came to was that there were too many elephants on the land, mm-hmm. and he proposed a cull that they had to kill tens of thousands of elephants to stop the land from going arid and it not supporting life. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's a pretty controversial sort of statement. Mm-hmm. So the government um, employed a lot of uh, – asked a team to research or look into his findings and see if they were accurate. They concluded the same thing based on the evidence and the knowledge at the time. So they did that. I think he said they culled about 40,000 elephants and he and it didn't work. The land was still going to shit. And he said that was one of the big sort of defining things in his life where he was like, I need to find out a way to fix this, to do things better because what we're doing now isn't working. Mm-hmm. So he spent a long time researching areas that, or looking into areas that were turning into deserts and trying to figure out why that was, why grasslands were going to shit. And after a while, the research and everything he came up with is that and it's kind of it makes sense once he explains it so before people started farming land uh, domesticating livestock and animals blah 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 the way it used to work is you had massive herds of grazing animals on grasslands like massive herds of grazing animals and they were hunted by pack predators um like your classic examples your zebra and your wildebeest uh, and your lions and hyenas, those sort of things. So the best way to survive against pack predators is as a, as a big herd. The more of you there are, the safer you are. So the way those animals would work is they would graze in areas and before long, the area that they're grazing in would just be, I mean, they, they'd, they'd shit all over their food. So they'd just shit everywhere, but then they can't eat there anymore, so they've got to move on. So the idea is that they shit everywhere, they're fertilising the soil, and at the same time, they can't spend that much time there because it just gets covered in shit so quickly. They've got to move on before they can damage the plant life too much. So they mm. move on to the next spot, and that supports that land, and it regenerates really quickly, and they're just constantly moving around. But when people came along, we did the we domesticated animals, and we had them grazing in the one spot for too long and you know being fed artificial feeds or like farming feed for animals and that's had a negative impact on the environment because one they're in an area too long or two they're not in an area at all so it's suffering because they're not there so one of the things he pointed out was like as an example like this grassland this grass grows you know seasonally but then it takes months and months and months to die back and when it does it just blankets the soil and it kills everything beneath it so there's no microorganisms in there anymore so the water doesn't get absorbed and now great now we've got a desert so he came up with a a tactic for 
or a program for holistic grazing where you think about where your animals are, you get them in massive, massive herds if you can, or the more of them you can get, the better, and you rotate them from paddock to paddock and do it that way. And where you house them overnight or where you sleep them, you eventually move them off there, sleep them somewhere else, and you use that land for uh, crops because it's just covered in manure. It's really rich soil with little vegetation on it. That's interesting. So that sort of thing. I wonder how feasible that is to do, like, because then you're going to have, like, people arguing over land and stuff as well. But, I mean, if you're a farmer, hopefully you've got enough land to do that. Well, and I think the thing is that he was pointing out as well, the land that you'd be looking to do this on to reverse the desertification, no one's really using it because it's shit. (laughs) I mean, it's dust. Fair enough, yeah. Like, there's minimal stuff there, so you... Start out with a herd eating what is available there and then you eventually grow that as the land gets better. So I think his TED Talk's really good. I'd I'd recommend you give it a watch or do a little bit of looking up on him or look at him on YouTube. I think his research, people have sort of thrown out questions about it like, oh, he's used photos that aren't actually the land, blah, blah, blah. I'm taking it all at face value because I just think like, well, why would he lie about this stuff like what's what's he gonna benefit from it i don't know bored bored what yeah i don't know just might as well do this now i mean like he, he told the story about he recommended they kill you know 40 or fifty thousand elephants i don't know if he wants to put that out there unless he's got a message to sort of save the world <laughs> or unless he wants the elephants to know what that he i'll, I'll do it again <laughs> yeah. i'm fucking crazy <laughs> I don't know. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page. There's a really nice photo of him in, um, he looks like a real happy guy. And then it goes down and it's got this other photo of him. And it's like when he's younger and it's like Captain Savory. And he's just sitting there on like the telephone and there's a gun behind him. Looks quite, quite, looks like quite the charmer. Yeah. Well, he's got the gun there because they said, all right, if you want to kill, if you want us to kill 40,000 elephants, you're going to have to help. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I wonder if there was some sort of like, you know, shadiness behind the scenes, like selling all the ivory or things like that, you know? (laughs) Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's real conspiracy stuff. Yeah, that's that's where my mind lives. (laughs) In the shadows, in the dirt. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, so we need to cull these 40,000 elephants because they are destroying the environment. I sort of, I sort of wondered if, like, is that part of the reason why so much of Australia is like shitty desert throughout a lot of it? Because we, I mean, to the best of my knowledge, we don't have any of those native sort of large herd grazing animals. Like, I think what kangaroos are probably our closest thing to that. Yeah, but I mean, the fauna did used to be. We what like I mean, depends how far back you go as well, and the environment's a constantly changing system because you had all, like the megafauna and things as well. Yeah, but I'm just I, I'm not familiar with Australia, you know, fauna history and megafauna. I don't know if we had any big herds of grazing animals, and if that plays into that theory at all as to why so much of Australia is desert. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. I know we did have an emu problem at one point. The uh, 
the old emu war? I, th- I, I think that if they won the war, I think the emus had an us problem. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, that Put might some be respect on their name, man. If they won, I mean, that's how we got to phrase it. Our army did lose a war to emus. If you don't know this, I would research it. Also, what do you say? Kangaroos, maybe? Camels? But I don't know how long the camels have been out there in the desert. Are camels native to Australia? I don't know, but we have a lot of them. We have a lot of wild camels. I think I, think I learned this from an episode of QI or something that... They're one of our big exports to yeah. Saudi Arabia for meat. I believe so. I don't know if it's for meat, but... Like, all their camels over there are, like, purebred, like, racing camels, so they use ours for meat and milk and shit. That might... Yeah, that might make sense. Yeah, but we got... I think we've got heaps of wild horses and wild camels. I don't know. I'll go to the desert, I'll, and I'll let you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think either of those are... Indigenous to Australia, though, or native to Australia, though. And I don't know if they really count as grazing animals, either. Like, I mean, what do emus eat? I, I don't know, meth. <laughs> emus are the meth heads of the bird world. Look, you just look at them, and they're just weird looking. Yeah, they're pretty tweaked they're out as well, aren't they? Weird colored eyes, their skin's all cracked, their hair's a mess. Emus are the meth heads of the bird world. Like, I, I really don't see them eating plants, either. I feel like they'd be eating lizards. I think they eat... And a lot of plants. You know what? Let's have a look. emu diet. Let's see what emus eat. You know what we need to do? We need to get into an emu farm. Yeah, emus eat a wide variety. Emu farm. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were going to get it or not. <laughs> well, <laughs> I had to. I had to decide whether or not to pick up that five cent coin I spotted from across the room, but I decided on it. Yes. So emus eat a wide variety of leaves, grasses, fruits, native plants, and insects. There you go. So they do not eat small cats and lizards. There you go. I reckon they might eat a skink occasionally. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if it's small enough and the emu's big enough. Like Google Google image search emus or... Actually, let's go like dumb emus. Dumb emu. Yeah, that's pretty good. Google Google image search dumb emu. <laughs> it's <laughs> there's some good ones along there. Do you Was there anything get, else you that you needed to add eggs? about Mr. Savory or Captain Savory or President Savory? Or just was you just anything? like the you like the idea of what he was talking about with holistic farming. I like the idea of what he's talking about with holistic farming and and I think it play so that's holistic livestock farming really and i think it plays in a little bit to some of the regenerative farming principles things like restoring and maintaining soil i mean that his holistic livestock management can or his holistic grazing we'll call it can play a little bit of a role in that restoring and maintaining soil and landscape uh through rotational grazing and can also it also plays a little bit into not overly disturbing soil so if you're getting livestock on there grazing you're essentially restoring the soil but also if you're having livestock in an area for too long you get soil compaction soil compaction gives you lots of issues in that Um, you don't get any water getting into the soil you're killing organisms in the soil by compacting them Uh, it's harder to plant things there because it's the the soil gets hard and difficult to dig up Um, 
you compacting soil around roots. So roots need oxygen to do their thing. So if you're compacting the soil around them, there's no oxygen there for them to use. So the plants die. Nice. All sorts of these regenerative farming principles that don't aren't universally accepted within Australia. Okay. Did you look much into like permaculture? Uh, you mean the sort of the use of worms, uh, anything in particular you mean? I think it's a combination between the word permanent and agriculture and it's trying to create just like working with the natural flow of things depending on what location you're in. So, for example, what you shouldn't do is grow organic cotton in Australia because cotton and that environment doesn't go together. You need to look at what works in that environment and grow something that works with the environment. Yeah. So I've sort of put that under the regenerative farming sort of umbrella. Um, yeah. Some other things that play a key part in permaculture is diversity is key. So one of the things that we've found um, with um, with what we're doing at our garden patch at school, for example, one of the things that I'm growing is broccoli. So on the broccoli, initially we got a couple of aphids, but we decided, no, we'll leave it because we know we've got a uh, I don't know what the term is. I think it's called a companion garden or something like that. Lots of really fragrant, pollen-rich um, plants, uh, buckwheat, lavender, blah, 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 um, that attract beneficial insects. So one of these beneficial insects is a variety of wasp that actually parasitizes the aphids. So initially, all right, we got a couple of aphids on there, but we're not going to spray anything. We're not going to bother with that. We're going to wait and see what happens first. And sure enough, we'd come back a couple of days later and you can see there's little brown husks on the leaves. And if you have a closer look at them, you can see they're aphids that are dead and they've got holes in the back of them. So what the wasps do is they get in there, they lay eggs in the aphids, and then the baby wasps eventually burst out the back of the aphids like a xenomorph, like a yeah, real alien shit. That's quite and hardcore. Then, each one of those babies goes and lays eggs in another 20 aphids and so on and so forth. So you can get a real quick population collapse of aphids that way. So that's one example, but there's all sorts of beneficial insects that manage those sorts of things. And you get that by having diversity, a diverse plant life around them, diverse uh, soil organisms, that sort of stuff. Interesting. All right. I'm going to pause just for one second because I think the dog needs to go to the toilet and I do not want it to pee on all the things again. The computer? Don't get it to pee on the computer. It already did. Otherwise, you'll have to put the computer in rice. No, uh, luckily, <laughs> luckily, the computer didn't get damaged, but it peed on what we call the electricity box, which is the box you do not want to get dog pee on. Oh, no. All right, pause and I'll catch you soon. Hello. Hello. Mayday, come in. Come in, you're breaking up. Hello. Over, over. Hello. Wait, right. is one of your dogs called Evelyn? Uh, that's her middle name. <laughs> um, Pisses me off that your dog's got a nicer name than me. <laughs> so her name, her full name is Evie Evelyn uh, Mutant English Evergreen, I think. Fair enough. I may have missed some things out of there, but she gets called Evelyn when she's being naughty. Oh, she was being naughty. 
Yeah, she was running away. And I was like, Evelyn, get back here. She's pretty good. She loves me. And I think that annoys Holly. (laughs) All right, okay. So I've spoken a bit about uh, what's called like farming in terms of crops, livestock, blah, blah, blah. I don't know a whole lot about aquaculture or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a background in diving, and you know mm-hmm. you're very you're much more familiar with the sea than me. What have you got anything on that? I've thought about it. I think I don't know. I think, I, 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 mean, like, I know, you know water is good. Yeah, I'm just. I know there are little experiments out there where they're trying to build like these. They're sort of like self-contained hubs that are in the shallows of the water. And what you do is you, I don't know, the best way I can think of it is, it, you know, you ever been in the bathtub with a bucket and you push the bucket Probably. upside down and the air's trapped in there? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so you know how you can do that and then if you keep the bucket underwater and then you flip it and then that big bubble rises? Yeah. Uh, when I think of that, all I can think of is Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. The yeah, first and that's one? how, and that's how they. The first one, that's how they get out to the um the the ship. Yes, yeah, that's that's exactly that's a good example as well. So, like, they imagine flip, that flip the canoe over and they walk out there. Yeah, yes, go on. So imagine that in the shallows. I get my pop culture references in there. <laughs> imagine that in the shallows, underwater, and then you sort of like, as you and you would enter it, and then around the rim, you would you could have like a garden. On the inside, though, yeah. Oh, yeah, on the inside. So you can you can grow whatever you want, and it's easier to regulate because the, like it's a barrier from pests and things and the and nature from like the no elements. No one ever listens to Jeff Goldblum. Eh? You know why? Because life uh, finds a way. Yeah, well, that's like one idea, but I think it's very labor intensive, and you can't get much return. Like, yeah. Never underestimate the shittiness of shittiness of pests like aphids. Like they will turn up will wherever. Build uh, their own little scuba diving apparatus, just like um, <laughs> the lion. I wouldn't put it past them. And the the tuna in What's the other that? guys. Yes, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, I really enjoyed that movie when I first saw it. That's a great movie. Like that monologue from um, uh, Will Ferrell about the the tuna hunting the lion. That's great. Oh, brilliant! That's the best. That's one of the best things he's ever done. It was. It's. It's. And it's just full of references. Oh, it's very quotable. Very quotable movie, and it's just layered as well. I mean, it's no. In terms of Will Ferrell movies, it's no old school. No old school, no, 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 no. Did you ever see old school? I did. Yes, my boy Blue. We could we could do a pod episode. What's just discussing Will Ferrell movies, ranking them from best to worst? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. What's what would be the worst one? I don't know. I've have you ever seen Elf? I've never seen Elf. Oh, uh, <laughs> Holly didn't hear what you said, but she came over to me. 
and just looked me dead in the eye and said, the Alf movie. <laughs> what about Zoolander 2? That'd be pretty uh, up there in terms of bad. Luke said, what about Zoolander 2? Holly said, not as bad as Alf. I haven't seen never, Alf. Never seen or, it. Probably never going to see it. Zoolander 2. And now she's doing pig face on the windscreen of Alf, the car door. And you got to speak to her. I don't think. Have you ever sp- spoken to her before? I mean, we've uh, exchanged emails. We've never actually spoken. She is very familiar with your voice. Well, I mean, I'm sure lots of our listeners are very familiar with my <laughs> soothing, smooth tones. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, I mean, what, what well, else have you got? S- Step Brothers, that's definitely a good one. That's a good one. Him in Zoolander 1 was amazing. Mm. Jacobin M- Mugatu. That was a great character. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> I invented the, key- the piano key necktie. What have you ever done? Nothing. <laughs> Although, he doesn't have much range, though, does he? I, I would have thought that that would demonstrate his range very well. Like, <laughs> him in old school versus him in Zoolander. Uh, Lose 10 pounds immediately or get the hell out of my office. <laughs> I don't know. He sort of has that, you know, erratic sort of shouty man thing. I don't know. <laughs> uh, what's that? Movie he does where he's um a character in a book. Um, Will oh Ferrell. yes, that's good. Stranger that, than Fiction. That's that, a more subdued, laid back character. Yes, and that is a very good movie. That's a good one. Um, there is another one where he's an alcoholic selling all his stuff. Everything must go again. He's a more subdued character. He's a little bit troubled. Um, so have you ever seen Everything Must Go? Uh, no, I haven't seen that one. No, so the premise is that his wife's leaving him. He just lost his job. So he's got like a week or two weeks or some bullshit to clear out his house so they can sell it. So he's just set up a a yard sale on his front lawn and he's selling all his worldly possessions. But he's not doing a very good job of it to start with because he's just out the front drinking the whole time. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. That just reminds me, there's this guy in Apollo Bay. He has a garage sale every weekend. Is it just a, a vessel for beers? A medium through which to drink? <laughs> or maybe just a cut-me fuck setting up a shop so he's just pretending to have a garage sale. <laughs> hey, man, rent's expensive, all right? Yeah. It's like, yes. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I used to I used to live with a few, uh, a couple of guys, and we used to do what we like to call Toretto barbecues. Okay. So, you know, Fast and the Furious, the Toretto's? Like the corn the main chips? family from that. It seems like you... Huh? Aren't they corn chips, Toretto? You said like the... I don't are, know. Are you thinking of Tostitos? Maybe. <laughs> anyway, so in the movie, the Toretto's used to just think, on Sunday, my granddad, he would... He'd have a barbecue and everyone could come as long as you went to church that day. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we'd yes. do the same thing, but without church. Ah, oh, fair enough. But not every Sunday, just occasionally, and we'd just get really drunk. So it's just the occasional barbecue among friends, Look, and you would just whenever, call it that. Whenever we, whenever we had a party, we'd do it on the front lawn as a barbecue. Uh, it was invite only, right? It was rarely on a Sunday, so it was it was not alike at all, except in name. 
Very good. All right. I anything else you want to say about farming? Um, that I feel as though farming is an industry of the haves and have-nots. Okay. Like some of the richest people in Australia are farmers, mm-hmm. and some of the people doing it toughest are farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that makes it a very complicated topic to discuss. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because then I guess who get if they try and do like subsidies as well, it's like who gets them? And will the rich just change what they're farming to get the subsidies? I mean, I know um, as part of the stimulus package for when COVID hit, they were doing this thing, uh, the government was doing this thing where you could do an immediate um, write-off of big expenses. So rather than waiting for your tax claim whenever it was, you could do an immediate write-off and they upped the amount that you could do it for, for to like 150 grand. So uh, it enabled farmers to invest in big equipment, new sheds, blah, 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 immediately and write it off straight away. So that sort of thing. I think that's a more universal thing, but I don't know much about grants available to farmers apart from that. Like I was Googling uh, sustainable farming grants for farmers or regenerative farming grants for farmers. I really couldn't find anything really clear cut. Like there's, there's things you can do as a farmer that support native wildlife as well as your property. Like for example, uh, a windbreak around your property. The idea being that it's reducing the amount of weeds you get on your property because you've got a windbreak of trees around the border of your property and wind blowing weeds seeds on the wind hits that and they just drop and they don't go onto your property and you can do that with native vegetation that supports native wildlife having said that though you can't just start planting trees around the boundary of your property because that shit's expensive true also so that's a cool idea with the windbreak you just gave me like a flashback to this video i saw where they had this giant net over this farm right yeah and it 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 caught it would catch all the moisture and then they just like hit the net and all the moisture drops on all the plants and they just, that's how they get watered. All in one, bang, one shot. It's mad. Oh my God. (laughs) It's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. I liked it. And it's, and it's one of those ones that's like visually appealing to watch or please, like it's good. It feeds your eyes. Hmm. Yes. All right. Uh, Shiloh now yeah. is making the noise of, I need to poop. I don't know why he didn't do that when I took him out Ooh, to wee. They're very different noises. Yes. So I'm going to take him out of the car now. And that is me wrapping up the episode and saying, see you suckers. All right, everyone stay safe and stay informed. And Oyo, you got to pick a topic oh, next week. But yes. you can do that on Twitter. No, I was just going to, I think we just pick one. The poll's, the poll's dead. You people suck. No one's voting. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was going to discuss with you. I'm like, do we just load up on a couple topics and that way we can. I I was thinking, I was thinking we could look at the budget, but then I was looking at that today and that's like, oh, God damn, that's nearly 400 pages. That's long. (laughs) We just turn into a, a political podcast. The budget. Well, I mean, and like that's not something that friends would sit around and discuss. No, like fuck that, goddamn. (laughs) Well, they would talk about about, four hundred goddamn pages of it. Yeah, that's what they do discuss. I went to look at the budget; it's four hundred pages long. Fuck that.
God damn. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you go take your dog out for a shit. I will. All right. Um, I'll I'll do a poll, but I'll, I'll, I'll I don't know. I'm thinking we I'll just do a poll, but I won't like it. Like four topics, and we just do them, and then we just have them ready. So if we come across an article, we just put it in there, and it's ready. You know. I'm I'm down to clown pitter patter. Let's get at her. All right. I'm out. <laughs> See you.